On September 29, 1998, American hip-hop duo Outkast released their third album, Equemini. At a time when formulaic albums by Master P and Puff Daddy topped the charts, Outkast unleashed an explosive hip-hop sound that used live musicianship, social commentary, and a heavy dose of deep funk. This put their hometown, Hotlanta, on the map and broke the established hip-hop mold. Welcome everybody to the 500 Albums podcast. This is the podcast where we go through the 500 greatest albums of all time, at least according to a panel of musicians, critics, and journalists. And it was published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. I'm your host, Irvin, and today we're looking at number 500 on the list, Equemini by Outkast. So yeah, welcome. This is the very first episode of the 500 Albums podcast. As I said, this is a nice project where I go down 500 greatest albums that was uh, published by Rolling Stone magazine more than 15 years ago. I started this podcast because I am really interested in music and I've always liked listening and researching different artists. And this was a nice way for me to get into discovering yeah, some new music, some older music maybe as well. This kind of started because I was gifted a book by my friend. It was a nice red book and it said the 500 greatest albums of all time on it. And of course I knew of the Rolling Stone magazine. But I never really looked into what they consider to be the best albums of all time. So every week I will go down one of those albums in the list, going from number 500 to eventually number one, hopefully. It's going to be a very long project, but uh, I hope to release at least one episode every week. And perhaps maybe more in the future. So yeah, every week I'll go down... The artist, the album, the aftermath, the influences of this album, what it really meant. It's going to be an interesting point if, uh, if you're interested in music. I, of course, had some prior knowledge of Outkast before. When I was growing up, they hu- had some huge success in the early 2000s. But that was more of a, a pop sound with Stankonia and singles like Heya and that kind of stuff. I didn't really know their roots and where they really came from. So this was an interesting experience for me listening to this album. I knew a little bit about their second album, AT Aliens, because of my prior work experience at a pop venue where we did a promo video for a hip-hop evening. And uh, one of my co-workers suggested me to uh, listen to some of their older stuff of Outkast. And that's how I came to listen to some of the AT Aliens album. But this album kind of fell in between there in the pop stuff I already knew and the more hip-hop oriented stuff, which I was introduced to before. So yeah, let's look into the um, artist first and then we'll go further. Outkast were an American hip-hop duo from East Point, Georgia. This is a suburb of the city Atlanta. The duo, Andre 3000 Benjamin and Antoine Big Boy Patton, formed in 1992 after meeting in a mall and participating in rap battles in high school. The duo has since then grown worldwide popularity 
their own inventive take on different hip-hop genres, which are defined as G-Funk and Dirty South. They created this sound together with the production group Organized Noise, which was very prominent in their early career. They are praised for their strong melodies, their intricate lyrics and positive messages throughout the work, but as well as experimenting uh, with other genres and implementing them into their own style. The duo has been influenced by a lot of different genres and different artists, and is also notable in the duality of the duo's style. Overall, they cite artists like George Clinton and Sly Stone as some of their biggest influences, while Andre cites A Tribe Called Quest and Hieroglyphics as big influences, while Big Boy cites artists like N.W.A., Bob Marley and The Far Side as some of his biggest influences. Outkast has been really active since their debut in the 90s, up until their hiatus in 2007. This is when they pursued more solo careers, until they had a short-lived reunion tour in 2014. During their career, the duo has received a lot of awards and nominations, and they are often named as some of the most influential and most successful hip-hop duos, or even just musical duos of all time. Before their release of this album, Equemini, they released the album's Southern Playlisted Cadillac Music in 1994, and the other album I mentioned before, AT Aliens, in 1996. Their debut single, Player's Ball, launched Outkast into the mainstream, peaking on the Billboard Hot 100 on number 37. Other singles of this debut did not manage to gain as much traction, but the album still remained a success and it's certified platinum in the United States. Their sophomore album, AT Aliens, offered the duo a bit more creative freedom because of the success of the previous album. This preceded also the tour in support of this debut, and it gave them more confidence and ability to create their own image and their own style, while before they were more copying stuff they already had seen or heard. And this also translated into a bit more experimental sound and production during the second album. And this is noticeable in the space-like funk sound as it's described, and it's mostly performed on live instruments. The album AT Aliens was critically praised and performed well commercially. It spawned hit singles, Elevators, Me and You, AT Aliens, and Jazzy Bell. AT Allen's really put both the duo and the southern hip-hop movement on the map, and this has opened up the genre for more experimental and ambitious artists to come. So before we take a closer look into the album of this week, I'd like to look a bit more at the time surrounding this album, so what was happening in the world, and what was happening in the genre. So Equemini was released in September of 1998, and this was a quite a revolutionary time for technology, and especially if you talk about the World Wide Web, the internet, uh, the use of mobile phones, cellular phones, 
and even cloning was something that was happening during this time. The technical revolution had an impact on everyday life and this is also something that reflects on some of the songs. So if we look at the genre during this time, is that in the early 90s there was a big growth in the mainstream hip-hop and R&B scene. And I'm not talking about the old school R&B, but the R&B we know today. One of the most iconic and influential albums during this time was Dr. Dre's 1992 album The Chronic. And this set the tone for years to come for the mainstream hip-hop scene. And it also created this new style labeled as G-Funk. And this was something very typical for the West Coast. But meanwhile, while this was happening there, the East Coast was also rising with more hardcore hip-hop. And these two movements created a year-long rivalry between both coasts. And on the West, it was led by Tupac, while on the East Coast, it was led by the Notorious B.I.G. And this ended tragically, of course. But meanwhile, this was happening. The South was also trying to develop their own style, but they were struggling to break through this two-sided battle. But then many in the genre attribute Outkast as the ones who broke this mold. Outkast won the 1995 Source Awards for Best New Artist. And this showed the public and the mainstream that there was more than just the East or the West Coast. And this also spawned one of Andre's most famous quotes. The South got something to say. It's like this though. I'm tired of folks, you know what I'm saying? The closed-minded folks, you know what I'm saying? It's like we got a demo tape and don't nobody want to hear it, but it's like this, the South got something to say. That's all I got to say. So now that we know a bit more about the time when this album was recorded and released, let's look at the process of the album. So Equemini was recorded over a period of multiple months in 1997 and 1998 in several Atlanta-based studios, including the Boston Recording Studios and the usual Doppler studios where they had worked before. After the success of their previous records, Outkast this time had way more freedom and budget and they could really create what they wanted to and also work in a different way than they were used to. And the percussionist Omar Phillips described the process as follows, quote, it was just eat, live, sleep, music. We started recording around 8 p.m. and we would come out of the studio at like six or seven in the morning, end quote. And the studio really became a place where musicians could just come in and come out whenever they wanted and contribute to the record. And producer Neil H. Pouch recalls, quote, It was almost like a Motown. That's what we had. Or like a Stax Records. That's what I loved about it. It brought back that whole feeling of making records, end quote. The individual members of the group, Andre and Big Boy, also became more involved into the production themselves. The DJ and producer of the duo, Mr. DJ, also recalled how he and Dre used their past experience to learn how to produce themselves. Quote, Me and Dre started learning how to produce together. We would just sit around and watch Rico and Ray all the time. We were just imitating what they were doing. And we eventually learned what we were doing. But for the most part, we were just going through the motions and trying to do what they were doing and finally learned how to start producing. End quote. And this turned out to be a very significant thing in the future. As I said before, Big Boy and Dre eventually split up to create their own solo records. 
But what some people might not realize is that their 2003 album Speaker Box The Love Below was actually a double solo album where Dre and Big Boy created their own albums and put them together under the name Outkast. So as I said before, during the recording, both the members themselves and additional musicians would be present at the same time. And this made live instrumentation possible with little overdubbing, something they hadn't really done as much before. And this added to a more organic and authentic sound for this album. Sonically, the album was unlike anything coming out of the South or anything else in the hip-hop community. And in a way, it was a continuation of their previous records, but even more experimentation, more hands-on productions, but also collaborations. And lyrically, the album also showed more maturity and introspection, hitting on themes like drug addiction, relationships, but also the bleak aspects of humanity. And the upcoming technological advancement and people's reliance on this technology is discussed and shown one of my favorite songs of this album, Synthesizer. The duo really embraced their own individual styles on this album. There was a synergy of Big Boy's conventional hip-hop topics and Andre's more poetic and science fiction style. The duo was not afraid to embrace this, and even mention this on one of my favorite tracks, the title track, Equemini, which is a portmanteau of their zodiac signs, the Aquarius and the Gemini. And besides embracing the synergy on this track, it also features maybe the most iconic rhymes that Andre or any other hip hop artist has ever given. So besides these two tracks, the album also spawned three singles. The first one being Rosa Parks, named after the civil rights activist. Rosa Parks got nationwide recognition in 1955 when she refused to move seats to make room for white passengers in a Montgomery bus. And this started a year-long boycott and a civil rights movement after that concluded with the end of racial segregation on public transport and it also inspired further activism in the South. Outkast used this story as a metaphor for their own position in the hip-hop scene. They felt like actual outcasts versus the East and the West. Even though they made this connection themselves, it later led to a lawsuit by Parks' family and lawyers who felt that Outkast misappropriated her name just to sell records. And talking about this position of the Southern hip hop movement, it also embraces that style with the use of acoustic and bluesic guitars and even harmonica. 
and Andre even later described the breakdown in the song sounding like a hoedown. Other singles on this album include Screw It on the Barbie, which features Wu-Tang Clan's Raekwon the Chef. This collaboration with Raekwon meant another opportunity for Outkast to blow up in New York. It also meant that Raekwon became more accepted in the South. And the final single of this album is The Art of Storytelling. And this single tells a story of two fictional women. First, Susie Screw, which is an oversexed groupie that slept with every rapper in Atlanta. And the second woman, Sasha Thumper, who is a drug addict who ends up dying of a heroin overdose while pregnant. Other tracks on this album include different collaborations with Atlanta group Goody Mob, funk legend George Clinton, and even Andre's damn wife and neo soul legend Erica Badu. So after the release of Equemini, it received widespread acclaim from music critics and musicians already. Critics praised its instrumental and lyrical experimentation that avoided cliches that were known in the genre up to this point. And Los Angeles Times writer Soren Baker said the following about the record. Quote, The collection supplies some of the luscious tracks ever included on the hip-hop record. Outcast creates intelligent hip-hop that will stimulate the mind, touch the soul, and pack the dance floor. End quote. In retrospect, the album has held up even higher with reviewers and musicians. For example, rapper Killer Mike, as we know now from Run the Jewels, describes the album as followed, quote, Equemini is the bridge between the pop brilliance of their follow-up record Stankonia and the southern soul brilliance of AT Aliens. It's a beast within itself for southern music, period. It meant nothing was the same. Equemini progressed our music 20 years. End quote. The follow-up albums showed even more progression and evolution in their style. And this is also something we will find out later on the list with the album Stankonia. Lastly, the lead single Rosa Parks earned Outkast their very first Grammy Award nomination. And the album is also noted in many top album lists. And it acquired them the 500th greatest album of all time. The album had a huge impact on hip-hop artists and the hip-hop scene. It really made Southern rap and hip-hop accepted, with the different collaborations, but also the mainstream success of the singles. And it opened up the scene for more Southern artists to come. An example, of course, is rapper Killer Mike, as I said before, who actually debuted on Outkast's next record, Stankonia. And he also featured on their subsequent records. Another artist who was heavily inspired by this album is rapper Kendrick Lamar, whose 2012 album Good Kid Mad City is often compared to Equemini because of its philosophical rhymes but also its layered composition. 
and also the song The Art of Storytelling Part 2 was introduced to a new audience as it was sampled by J. Cole on his song Land of the Snakes. And that's it for this week's album Equemini. I hope you learned something about this album. I definitely enjoyed listening to it. I'm not a big hip-hop fan myself, but as I said before, I knew of Outkast. I knew of their more pop sound, of their later records, and I was introduced to their more hip-hop sound. So it's nice to see the transition point, so to say. And I actually enjoyed a lot of the songs that I mentioned, and I didn't know that Outkast had such a big impact on the genre in general. So this was really cool to take a deep dive into their history and everything surrounding this album. And I definitely look forward to listening to their next album on the list, Sangonia. But yeah, that's going to be in a lot of weeks from now. So for now, thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you liked it. You can tell your friends about it if you want. You can rate the podcast in iTunes, for example. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 500albumspod, which is at 500albums, and then P-O-D. If you have any suggestions or questions for me or anything else, uh, maybe even your favorite tracks of this album, albums you might be looking forward to in this list, you can email me on 500albumspod at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be looking at Live in Cook County Jail by B.B. King. So if you'd like, you can listen to that album for now. And then next week, we'll see each other again. Thanks for listening. Bye.